Well, that kid is a joy. She is a tough act to follow. We are continuing this morning our look together at Paul's two letters to the church at Thessalonica, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and today we come to the fourth chapter. If you have a Bible with you, turn there to 1st Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's a good habit to cultivate, bring a Bible with you to our gatherings. Let us give our reverent attention to this God's holy word. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and, not, and, and that in this matter no one should, should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. Notice what is assumed in these verses about the nature of Christian life. To be a Christ follower is not only to have status as a child of God, a child of the living God. It is also to be on a track of growth to greater maturity. It's that old destination versus journey distinction. Christianity is a journey. Faith is a walk. God loves us far too much to leave us as he finds us. He calls us to live lives that please him in an ever-increasing way. There's that phrase in the first verse of this chapter, more and more. Do you see it there? More and more. And behind that phrase, more and more, is Paul's statement that the, Th- Th- the Thessalonians knew what it was to please God. And he's asking them, he's telling them, instructing them to please God more and more. Now Paul and Timothy and Silas and their co-workers had taught them and they had learned their lessons well. 
Paul wrote, we instructed you to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And that's a wonderful compliment that we have here for this first church. The instructions have been followed. There was evidence of that in the lives of the Thessalonians. To them, how to behave was not a matter of theory, but of practice. They knew how to behave, and they behaved. They were Christians, not only in terms of their position, but in terms of their practice. They actually followed Christ down the road of life. And now, as Paul writes to them, he encourages them to live in order to please God more and more. And the question I have for you this morning is, are you a more and more kind of Christ follower? Or are you the other more common kind that could be called the once and done Christian? Once and done Christians are satisfied that they have achieved a certain position, that their eternal, eternal destiny is now assured through Jesus Christ, through their faith in him. They've got their ticket. Uh, they, they know that nothing else is required of them. That's a once and done Christian. More and more Christians are constantly growing. They have a growing edge always. At least they are constantly seeking to mature and to grow. To be one of these more and more Christ followers means that you will put yourself in situations and you, are, you will participate in activities that contribute to your development, to your maturation. You will involve yourself in things like small groups or Bible studies or a Sunday morning class or conversations with other believers or your own personal reading and study of Scripture. You'll read books and magazines that promote spiritual growth and, and cause you to interact with issues and topics out of your life as a follower of Jesus. You'll join other Christians, as many of you already do, in projects and programs that extend the good news of Jesus Christ and, and the grace of God in tangible ways to other people. You will develop a, a way and a pattern of life that is for God and for other people. And all of that aims to take you farther along the path of maturity as God's son or daughter, to grow up so that more and more you please God in your living. And again, the question is, are you a more and more Christian, or are you content to be a once undone follower of Christ? Verse 3 of this chapter says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. To sanctify something means to make it holy. And the basic idea of holiness is dedicated to one purpose and one purpose alone. The temple was holy because it was, one, was for one purpose only. It was for the worship of God. He was the focus of everything. Every architectural detail Every piece of furniture, every object, every utensil in it, as well as the people who went there, had a single, pure, overarching purpose. And that purpose was to please God. And it's very significant that when Paul gives an overarching one-word summary of God's will for God's people, it is this word, 
sanctification or holiness. That's God's will, that we would reflect his character and his purpose in our lives, that we would be for him and him only. And holiness for Paul is a matter of becoming more and more like the God who has created us and called us and saved us, modeling ourselves after his character by separating ourselves from anything that doesn't please him, anything that is not congruent with his character. It means aligning ourselves in an ever-increasing way with God and his life and his purpose for our lives. Now, it's very important to notice that the holiness to which we're called is not a bunch of activities. We're not called to do religious things. The call is not a call to become more religious by adding religious responsibilities or obligations or duties like church attendance or good deeds, adding those things to your schedule. Pleasing God is not a matter of doing some religious things. Over and over in the Old Testament, the prophets speak on behalf of God. And they say something that I think is surprising to most people and certainly troubling to most of us who consider ourselves religious in some way. What the prophets said over and over again was that God is not impressed with your religion. Have you ever thought of that? Over and over again, they say, God is not impressed with your religion. It's not the religious things that God is so concerned with. In fact, at various points, the minor prophets said, enough already with your religion. It's not your sacrifices. It's not your temple rituals. It's not your observances. It's not your almsgiving that demonstrate that you are with God or where he is with you. Rather, it's the ordinary, everyday way that you're living your lives out in mercy and justice and humility uh, that counts. Amos said to his people on behalf of God, he said, God says this to you, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. They're a foul odor in my nose. Even though you bring me, bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. You see, growing in holiness is not merely adding religious activities. It's having all your life, all your activities affected by a desire to please God. It's letting the character of God seep deep into your character. It is, as Paul says in writing to the Ephesians, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, growing up into him. It is, in a sense, a what-would-Jesus-do kind of thing. Not in the bracelet, bracelet sense of that. Do you have your WWJD bracelet on this morning? Or was that too 90s? It's in the sense of, of trying to know God's will 
and do God's will. Aligning and attuning yourself with his character, with his person, so that you will grow to be godly and you will naturally act as Jesus would act, always obeying and pleasing God. Jesus was the one, after all, the only one of whom God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Paul and his co-workers, when they write, are calling the Thessalonians, and the Holy Spirit, as he speaks to us this morning from this part of God's word, is calling us to holiness, to live in order to please God. It's not a call to get religious, to start doing religious things, to do more religious things. Rather, we're being urged to make holiness the person and character of God, a pole star of our lives. Now, I need to explain to some of you what a pole star is. The pole star for sailors in the northern hemisphere is Polaris, this bright megastar in the constellation Ursa Minor for you intellectuals, the little dipper for the rest of us. Uh, Back before the days of GPS, back before navigational instruments, sailors found themselves or found their way on the high seas by looking at the night sky for Polaris, the North Pole Star. And they knew that that way is always north, and they steered by it. It's called a pole star because it lines up with the North Pole. I guess you got that. Some of you are already thinking, but what if I live in the Southern Hemisphere? We'll talk about that after worship during plaza time, if if you'd like. Well, pole stars were needed because there are so many stars out there. For us city dwellers, that's an easy thing to to forget. But if you go outside of the city, go to the middle of the desert or some wilderness or perhaps on a cruise and look up at the night sky, you will be impressed again, I'm sure, how the stars shine and you will see millions, well, you won't see, you'll, you'll see perhaps four to 6,000 stars. Those are all that are visible. But there are millions of them out there. Actually, Carl Sagan was right. There are billions upon billions of stars out there. The estimates are between 100 and 400 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way, alone. And uh, they estimate... I don't know how they do such things, but they estimate that our Milky Way is but one of 140 billion or more galaxies. So there are a lot of stars out there. How in the world could a sailor navigate by the stars when there are so many of them? Well, there's one that points north. And there are many stars in the firmament of popular opinion and advice. There are so many voices that would tell us how to act, how to behave, what to do. Have you noticed with me the rise of celebrity advice? It seems everywhere you turn more and more, there's an interview with a movie star or a musician or a politician that takes on the tone of giving advice, highlights some star and his or her instructions for how to live. Uh, I'm amazed at uh, 
how these people who aren't living such wonderful lives have plenty of advice, of advice for us who would live our wonderful lives. Look to the stars, not those stars. Well, this scripture passage provides what I'm calling two pole stars to guide us in living lives, lives that please God. Two concepts to steer by. The first is this matter of holiness, pleasing God. The second is honor. When Paul addresses the issue of sexual practice, he says that each person should learn to control his own body in a way that is both holy and honorable. Honor is a matter of respect for the opinion of others and a concern for the well-being of others. It is being other-centered rather than selfish. It is taking others into account. And in this specific matter of sexual activity, honor stands in stark contrast to the passionate lust that Paul mentions in this passage. Lust is self-centered. It's fixated on and propelled by one's own needs and desires. But sex with honor respects and shows concern for others. And there are two pole stars, holiness, a desire to do what pleases God, and honor, a desire to seek the best for others that are to guide us. And there are three issues in this passage for which these two pole stars serve as guides. Relations of three kinds, sexual, interpersonal, and what might be called public relations. Uh, sexual relations, uh, holiness and honor in them, means to abstain from immoral practices, to not entertain impurity. The word that's translated by two words in this passage, sexual immorality in verse 3, is actually the word porneia. It's a general term for almost any type of wrong sexual behavior. Each of you should avoid sexual immorality. That's the demand of holiness. To be honorable in this respect means to respect the other people involved. The spouse, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, the date, the potential future spouse of others, even the whole congregation of which you are a part. You see, social or sexual activity has social and relational implications. For Paul, it's not an inconsequential private activity. On the contrary, it has impact on both one's relationship with God and one's relationship with other people. And therefore, it ought to be conducted in a way that's respectful to both God and others. It ought to be self-giving rather than self-serving. And the standard is perfect faithfulness of body, mind, and emotions within marriage and total abstinence outside of marriage. John Stott wrote, there's a world of difference between lust and love, between dishonorable sexual practices which use the partner and true lovemaking which honors the partner, between the selfish desire to possess and the unselfish desire to love and cherish and respect. So the instruction of Scripture here means thinking about your sexual life, not as a separate segment of your life put over onto one side of your life, but to think of it as within the larger framework of your personal walk with God. And then there are interpersonal 
relations. Verse 9 uses the phrase brotherly love. That translates the word Philadelphia, brotherly love. It meant originally the love between siblings, but it was adapted in the early days of the Christian church to refer to the love between followers of Christ. A new family has been created in Christ. We are sons and daughters of God, and now we're brothers and sisters of each other. Uh, Incidentally, I, I need to say that when you run across the word brothers in the New Testament, it's not just men being addressed. The word Adelphoi was inclusive. It is meant to be translated in our day as brothers and sisters. Women are not left out. Paul commends the Thessalonians for their Philadelphia, their brotherly love. And they love each other as brothers and sisters. And that love reaches beyond their own congregation and city. Uh, They are showing that Philadelphia throughout Macedonia, uh, this northern province of Greek. But Paul urges progressive sanctification in this regard. He says, more and more have brotherly love. Be like God who loves everyone. There's an interesting word in verse 9, translated taught by God. You have been taught by God. It actually is the word theodidactoi. Isn't that an interesting word? It means God taught ones. God taught ones. Theodidactoi. And then lastly, public relations. Make your ambition to be leading a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul's concerned here with the God that is portrayed to those outside the church at Thessalonica by the Thessalonians. What kind of God is it who's being served by busybodies who are always messing into other people's lives, by noisy people who are always ready to voice an opinion, or by lazy people who don't work for a living but get by on the charity of others. And you see, again, holiness and honor are the guides. What kind of life before others bespeaks a relationship with the holy, living God? How is the character of God revealed in the daily lives of those who profess to follow him and honor how is respect and concern for others shown in the way that Christians make their living and act toward one another so four important facts about pleasing God lessons to be learned from the scripture lesson number one it is possible to please God God is not a great puzzle maker who cuts your life up into little pieces and then stands back to watch to see whether you're able to put it all back together again God is not one who cannot be be pleased, who no matter what you do will never be satisfied. He's not like a marine boot camp drill instructor, always in your face. God can be pleased. It is possible to please God. And pleasing God, secondly, pleasing God begins with trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. The instructions here in Thessalonians are for Christ's followers. The key word is sanctification, how one progresses in being like God, in maturation toward perfect Christ-likeness. The topic is not justification. This is not what puts you in a right standing with God. This is how you act 
because you are in that position because of Christ. And thirdly, pleasing God is not a matter of doing some religious things. Over and over, the prophets speak on behalf of God. They say it's not religious things that God is concerned about. It's not your sacrifices, your offerings. Rather, it's the ordinary, everyday way you are living your lives out. Mercy and justice and humility is what God requires. God has shown us how to please him. Paul gives some basic lessons in pleasing God in these 12 verses. Sexual morality. Please God with your sexuality. Relationships with other Christians. Love them more and more. And with respect to outsiders, live in such a way that the holy God is displayed. And again, the words of Jesus come to mind. Let your light so shine before others that they will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let us stand for the benediction.